more spicy. <laughs> we, should, we should toast a Spicer's bad day yesterday. <laughs> Pour one out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he's just... Uh, I, I mean, when you really put all this stuff back to back that he said and had to deal with, he should have just really blown his brains out by now. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a bad day for Sean Spicer. Bad, he, bad day. He is not good at his job. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, guys. We'll start on that note. <laughs> um, I, I mean, we, it's just so uncomfortable. Like, yeah. We have to talk about it. The Sean Spicer. Yeah. yeah. He's, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you want to give the... Sure. So, yeah, for those of you that maybe weren't following what happened yesterday, Sean Spicer was trying to draw an analogy between uh, Assad, uh, the president of of Syria, using chemical weapons, and Hitler. And and that should have been, you you never do that. Don't compare anybody to Hitler. Uh, And he said, quote, we didn't use chemical weapons. We didn't use chemical weapons in World War II, Mr. Spicer said. You know, you had someone as despicable as Hitler who didn't even sink to using chemical weapons. (laughs) <laughs> and all of the reporters like that were watching you just they, they're just looking around like did he just say that <laughs> did you did you see some of the video clips of the faces of reporters it was yes, fantastic yes. as they like process did he actually just say that right uh, and then so then he was asked a follow-up question whether he wanted to alter his remarks and at that point it, it hits him right oh crap right i'm, I'm in <laughs> and uh so then we, he, we should point. We should point out that Hitler did, in fact, use chemical weapons right, on exactly. uh, millions of uh, Jewish people. Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, among others. Yeah. So then he he mutters through a whole bunch of it, like stuttering, stressed. Uh, the panic is setting in, and he then uses instead of uh, describing concentration camps, he refers to them as Holocaust centers, which causes a second wave <laughs> of all of the reporters oh, no, in the sorry, room sorry, sorry, sorry. going, "What did he just say?" <laughs> I mean, and, 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 to his credit, he tried to apologize a little bit afterwards, uh, like two or three times, but then that didn't go well. And this morning, he came out and said, I'm sorry, shouldn't have done it, big mistake. And I think that might be the first time anyone in the Trump administration has done that. And, uh, yeah, an unqualified Yeah, just, apology. I screwed up, you shouldn't do it. And the funny thing is, the, the story basically goes away then, right? It was right. a mistake, and you move on. Right. So hopefully he uses that tactic a little bit more because I doubt this will be the last time. Right. Um, I I just feel bad for the guy. Like realistically, you know the context of what he was saying. Yeah. And right. you know, it's so easy to to jump on someone like that. The fact that he just kind of kept tripping over his own tongue was probably the issue more than than anything else. But it's just ah, it's just so uncomfortable. <laughs> Everything about the past two months has been <laughs> so very uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Well. I, well, you know, I mean, I we're, we're in front of classes all the time, and I, I mean, I'm, there's many times I say absurd things that don't make a ton of sense, but nobody's really listening, although I'm pretty sure I've never used the word Holocaust Center right, right. in class. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, I, I find Spicer, like, I, like I, while I, 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 there's part of me that despises him, for the most part, I find him to be a largely sympathetic figure. Like, I feel bad for him in that you the a job... a largely sympathetic creature? Did I say creature? I said per- I meant to say person. Say <laughs> uh, uh, he's a he's a sympathetic person in that uh, like in the sense of like I the job is awful, right? Like mm-hmm. the the party line of what he's supposed to be saying is like shifting sand underneath him. He's having to go out and defend policies that he doesn't necessarily know what the policies are, and so yeah, I mean I, I feel a little bad for him. 
And it's a tough job, too, because in many ways, he perfectly represents Donald Trump. I mean, he knows that Trump watches him every day, so he's got to be that aggressive, confrontational style. And until yesterday, I thought he'd been getting better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, re- representing the vision that Trump wants put out there for communication, very mm-hmm. aggressive, confrontational. Uh, you just, every once in a while, you're going to slip up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody, uh, somebody said something about how you could, uh, like, an accurate way to think of the Trump administration is that you could shuffle the entire, like, everyone in the Trump administration, just move them randomly to new jobs within the Trump administration, and basically things would continue to work the way they currently are. <laughs> Like, like you try a new role this week. Oh, that'd be fine. So actually, communication was a bit of a struggle or entertaining yesterday. So there was the Sean Spicer debacle, but we also had Donald Trump giving an interview on Fox where he uh, was describing his interaction with the president of China uh, and the decision to drop the bombs in Syria, but spent more time talking about the wonderful chocolate cake that they beautiful. ate. It's the best beautiful, cake you'll ever beautiful cake. <laughs> so, uh, then he does really the events, and so, quote, I was sitting at the table, we had just finished dinner, we're having dessert, and we had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake you've ever seen. Beautiful, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> so, so then he goes on, so what happens next is I said, quote, we've just launched 59 missiles heading to Iraq, and I wanted you to know this. And he was eating his cake, and he was silent. And then the, the interviewer says, Syria? <laughs> yes, Question yes, yes, mark? yes, heading towards Syria. And then he finished his cake. You know what I meant. (laughs) Right. One of those places. Beautiful chocolate cake. The cake was as beautiful as the little baby children who were killed by the chemical (laughs) weapons in Syria. Both beautiful. It's all about context and perspective. Sitting in front of him at the moment. Yeah. He only has, you know, only so much of a vocabulary. So give give, give him a little leeway on that one. The other part of that interview that I found that I got a chuckle out of was that he and uh, what's her name Maria Bartolomo or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Bartiromo. Bartiromo. Okay. They had a uh, they had a little exchange where they kind of went on and on about how wonderful our weapons are and how like how amazing our weapons are, but they both sort of oohed and awed over the fact that we had unmanned missiles. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I, the idea of manned missiles is just a fun image right. in my mind. We decommissioned those kamikaze pilots right. finally. Well, the other thing, so Trump does go on and on about how uh, fantastic and how sophisticated the U.S. military is and the mis- all these missiles are. And you also get the sense when he's talking about this, he realizes he spent a whole campaign attacking the U.S. military in terms of its, you know, how strong and com- uh, competitive it was. So then he says, and it's going to get even better, right? You know? Well, I mean, the whole thing is the whole Syria thing is just uh, I mean, this last week has been like this flip flop on so many. Not that this is new to Trump, but right. I mean, he spent the entire campaign in the last several years talking about how we would not get involved in Syria, that it was none of America's business. We're going to stay out. The military is awful. Russia's great. And I'm going to make their our relations with Russia even better. And like this week has just been we're attacking Syria. Russian relations are at an all-time low. The military is fantastic. It's like, like, it's all just totally the opposite. Yeah, he also, the, the part of that that delights me is that the alt-right is going, is like furious about all of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll talk, probably talk about this later, but it also explains why Bannon has been pushed to the sidelines a bit. Mm-hmm. That I think Trump is following a more mainstream Republican line. All of that. Uh, you look at U.S.-Russia over Syria or U.S.-China engagement over North Korea, he's embraced a very traditional Republican 
uh, hegemonic. Uh, the U.S. is going to set the tone. I mean, this is you're, you're right. This is a, a big shift uh, for the U.S. has been. And let's not gloss over the fact that he told the president of China immediately after he was bombing another sovereign nation. What? What? <laughs> yeah. Right. Question right. mark. Yes. But he he said that the president thought it was great. Yeah, well, he kept eating his cake. He clearly didn't <laughs> give cake, a shit. Right? Yeah. Yes. Chinese aren't going to care about Although, that. Apparently, he asked for the translation twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Chinese president did? Yes. Yeah, could just one, more, one more time, right? <laughs> oh, so maybe, maybe when he informed President Xi, he told him that we were cru- launching cruise missiles at Iraq. Maybe that's why he needed <laughs> yeah. the second translation. Well, I mean, let's... And, and I've heard, you know, elements of this over the past couple of days or so after this story kind of came out do you think there was some sort of reason that he gave up that information so readily when the chinese delegation was there at mar-a-lago or was this just him just being the biggest dick in the room well it would have been made public fairly soon right uh to the press i wouldn't assume that you would immediately tell uh, it is kind of strange. Yeah. yeah, is it not? I don't know, but that's maybe that's Mar-a-Lago cart culture, right? You know, you're down there, you're having a meal, you get some secrets, because you know the pre- the Chinese president didn't want to play any golf, so you had to find some way of bo- bonding and maybe sharing a, you know, sort of a preemptive information about some bombing. That's how you get you get close. So they, well, the, you know, I, there is something to be said about the fact that I, I think one of the prime um, explanations for. A, everything that Trump does is that he wants to be liked, right? Yeah, right. So, yeah. like, there's always the chance that this is not bragging, but, like, hey, look what I just did, so. And if, if you would have asked us a couple week ago, a couple weeks ago, would Trump have a better interaction with the president of China or the president of Russia this mm-hmm. week? Oh, it would have, of course, been Russia, right? That was where we assumed that relationship was going to develop. And suddenly that interaction with China is much, much better, much more positive than, I mean, Russia and U.S. is collapsing. The bromance is over. You you say that our relationship with China is better, but he he supposedly threatened the Chinese president with trade sanctions and told them that if they don't do something about North Korea, we will. And if they want a better trade deal, they better do something about North Korea. So I don't know that it was like just chummy at the meeting. With, with well, China. I mean, the but, second that that um, Xi left, the state-run media in China already had a, a story ready to go that Trump was weak and yes. unaffected or non-effective, and and he just I, like. What's going on? <laughs> so, so yes, both of them. So Trump apparently didn't say any of that. The tweets were, or he didn't say that to him directly. He waited till he left, and then he tweeted out uh, a couple comments, you know, basically attacking him. And then uh, let's see, the tweets were North Korea is looking for trouble, which is great, right? <laughs> they're, they're looking for trouble. Uh, if That's China, something I would put on my Twitter. Right. If China decides to help, that would be great. If not, we will solve the problem without them. USA. He, he, ended oh, USA. he ended it with USA. He ended it with USA. And then, so as you mentioned, then the the Chinese publication, the Global Times, which is kind of a reflection of the Chinese government, uh, had an op-ed where they described not only is Washington brimming with confidence and arrogance following the missile attacks on Syria, but Trump is also willing to be regarded as a man who honors his promises. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Chinese version of a bad tweet. Uh... There's so there's so many directions to go with this because I mean we we got to talk about North Korea 
we got to talk about Russia. We've ta- already brought up Bannon. It's I, pronounced after... Best Korea. Thank you. <laughs> Best Korea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Should we Should we start with U.S. Russia over Syria? Yeah, sure. As well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know where to where. To... Things are bad. They're at, they're at the yeah, worst. Lost. U.S. 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 Russian yes. relations are at the worst they've been at in uh, generations. Say that again, Phil. You were at, you were saying should we talk about U.S. Russian relations? Yes. So lowest point in uh, in ages, Trump says. Oh, the yeah. worst worst that they've been in years. Hold on, and I quote: "We're Maybe not ever. getting along with Russia at all. Relations <laughs> are at an all time low." That came directly from Trump. All time low, worse than the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Tillerson met with Putin today, and for a two-hour meeting, apparently that was very, very tense. They came out afterwards and acknowledged that that things aren't going well, that yeah. there's lots of pressure. Uh, today, uh, uh, Trump called on Russia to change posture. Uh, he called. Uh, I think it, there's got to be a lot of pr- pressure on Russia to make sure that peace happens. Because frankly, if Russia didn't go in and back this animal, we wouldn't have a problem right now. I mean, so is, Trump is throwing it directly at Putin. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, um, what, oh, now I lost it. I lost my train of thought. Shit. Yeah, um, it'll come back to you. Oh, oh we lost no, Phil. we lost Phil. We'll, we'll get him back. Oh, no. Um, so apparently Putin himself met with Yes, Tillerson as well. Which initially was thought not to going to happen, right? right? So Putin, they thought it should be the first time that a Secretary of State on his inaugural visit to Russia mm-hmm. hadn't met with the president. So, uh, but Putin did. Uh, but again, it's still, it's still a really, really tense situation. I, I mean, and um, what was Tillerson? And this was what I had texted you about. Yeah. So Tillerson is in a position uh, at this point to roll back significantly the sanctions that were imposed on Russia yeah. fairly close to the end of the Obama administration, yeah. correct? And it was directly related to, um, was it oil or natural gas exploration in Ukraine? Right. Which is worth about $500 billion. It's a crazy <laughs> amount, right? And so that was, the, when he was first named, it was assumed that that would be one of the uh, that would be one of the efforts that, that he would change that, or that, and that Trump seemed interested in that as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, build a new relationship, uh, expand economic ties, be good for Exxon. It would be good for the United States, good for Russia. Win, win, win. How how <laughs> fucking terrible is that? That we've it's so cartoony, yeah, evil, uber capitalist. Like, yes, it just I and, and the fact that, and I wish Phil was here to talk about this. He rest in peace. Um, the and the connections with Manafort coming out now yeah, that yeah. he was directly paid by the Russian government. Right. Uh, was it the Russian government? Oh, actually, the Ukrainian government. Through the Ukrainian government, he was in Yanukovych's yes. black book. Yeah, there was this black ledger, mm-hmm. uh, and they had uh, Manafort down for roughly, I think it was like twelve million dollars. Mm-hmm. But it literally was like this little book that they found when they when they toppled the regime. And Manafort had denied all of it. And then it was today they found uh, financial records obtained by the AP confirms that at least $1.2 million in payments listed in that ledger uh, were actually received by his firm in the United States, Mm -hmm. uh, which directly connects 
Manafort to Ukraine. Right. So he's now registering as a foreign agent. Yes, uh, <laughs> it's a, that's a big deal. Um, and then, and you know, beyond that, there was the Carter Page stuff as well. So Carter Page, a foreign policy advisor. Oh, here we go. I think oh, Phil's coming back. We're gonna see if we can't get Phil Bark. Phil, you're back. Oh. I'm back. <laughs> All I heard was Nick yelled, shit, and my computer just crashed right when he said that. I actually put my fist through the computer at that point. So we were we were just we were talking about Manafort and that connection as well as we just transitioned to Carter Page. Uh, so so Manafort is receiving, you know, they have verification that he's receiving money. Uh, Carter Page, uh, it was revealed this week that uh, the FBI uh, had met with the uh, FISA court and they approved a warrant of him for being, a, you know, potentially an agent of the Russian government. Um, so when you think about the the ties between the Trump administration and Russia slash Ukraine, this was this was a big big week, but it wasn't really there wasn't a whole lot of attention. No, and that's the thing. Like uh, of all the the stories that we've heard over the past couple of months and the connections with Russia and, yeah. and whatnot, this. I, relatively speaking, got almost no coverage. Yeah. Like, the only thing I've seen are the AP alerts that keep coming in. Right. That's about it. And, and so the Syria, that Syrian attack has uh, distracted everybody. Right. Uh, it, it will come back to it. The Carter Page story is too That's significant. Big. Yeah. That's big. Because, I, so, I mean, the FISA courts are, I mean, FISA warrants are typically, or my, my understanding at least, is that they are used almost exclusively to surveil foreigners not americans and so the fact that a fisa warrant was issued uh for carter page is is bad i mean that means there's a there was significant evidence that he was doing something not good well that yeah and specifically that you know they say that he was an agent of the russian government that he was on some level being compensated for this Mm -hmm. which is interesting given you know going back the trump administration for the past couple months has tried to distance himself from carter page he was the first one that they pushed back on. Mm-hmm. And you do wonder whether they had some advance notice of something that was going on. Yeah, okay, so there was Manafort, there was Carter Page, uh, a Russian hacker was arrested in Spain. <coughs> so it was it was a pretty big week in terms of the deals uh, or the, that connection between the Trump campaign and Russia, but not hey, a lot of attention. No, they played it brilliantly. Yeah. They had to lob a few missiles yep. into, into Syria and nobody is the wiser. And speaking of brilliant, oh, go ahead, Phil. One of the Trump boys, I don't remember the Eric. Sons. That's what I was, was going to say. Eric? Speaking of okay. brilliance, yes. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was Eric or Don Jr. One of them, yeah, publicly made the statement that, like, the one thing that the Syria strike accomplished is that nobody's talking about Trump and Russia connections right, anymore. Right. Which is like, you don't say that publicly. Like, what is he thinking? It was, you know, Saturday Night Live relentlessly goes after Eric Trump for being a dummy. Yeah. And then and then he does this. And he, in that same interview, he also they also asked him why why he thought that Trump had launched the missiles. And he said something to the effect, well, Ivanka was really upset. And he really responds to stuff that Ivanka says. Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> she was in a bad mood. That would make right. her happy. So, so they're going to have to, I'm sure he's no longer allowed to speak to the press. Oh. <laughs> it's just insane. Oh. One, of the, one of the points on the Ivanka thing that I thought was really good that I saw uh, online, somebody made the comment that if it's unclear to you whether Trump's response to Ivanka was responding to essentially uh, a close advisor or to like the like emotional pleas of his daughter, 
then uh, that's the problem with nepotism, right? Yes, like if you yes, can't if you yes. can't distinguish between what what it is about Ivanka that would get to Donald Trump, then that's and it, it is true, right? I mean, when you have, when you surround yourself with family like this, yeah, yeah. yeah. So thinking about Syria and thinking about the U.S.-Russian relationship regarding Syria, so these two antagonistic powers are having to come to odds about this. Do we think Putin or Trump has played this better? I don't know. Like at this point, it, it Russia was doing such a good job mm -hmm. outmaneuvering us in, yeah. in a very chess-like way through the end of the Obama administration, and then almost immediately after Trump gets into power, everything just gets thrown into chaos. Yeah, and I don't know if they know how to respond to it at, at this point. Like they're they're still just kind of attempting, like the rest of us grasp what the fuck is going on right right um i will say i think trump had a pretty good week uh yeah. you know going back to how they handled you know the use of chemical weapons i think mm -hmm. everybody in general other than the alt-right as phil pointed out we're pretty pleased with that and then this week shifting to attacking russia putting a lot of blame on russia this feels like a, a pretty good approach uh, mm -hmm. i don't know phil what do you think yeah i mean i think when you say who has gotten who's come out ahead in the yeah. you know whether putin or trump has done better i think the answer is yes like i, I think yeah. <laughs> in the sense that i think they both have gotten what they want right like so right. so putin's concerned about he i don't think he gives a shit about the international community for the most part right he he cares about domestic support and propping up his his power and i think uh, all of this works towards that right he can point to the u.s and talk about how they're the aggressors they're the, you know, they're the assholes, they're in the wrong, we're in the right. So he wins, right? He he can spin this whole story in a way that's good to him. And Trump wins, right? Because he's standing up to Russia. He's making a statement about U.S. role in international politics. Like, he, I mean, I, I think they it's a win-win situation for both of them. Well, this it is... Might be, it might be lose for the rest of us if we right. end up at war with Russia. Well, but it's a win -win. they obviously don't give a shit about that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, and this is, <clears throat> and I feel like this is indicative of it. So there was an alert from the AP a couple of hours ago. Russia vetoes a UN resolution condemning the reported use of chemical weapons in Syria and urges a speedy investigation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not wrong, yeah. but let's check it out anyway. Well, <laughs> and the beauty, in some ways, of, of Trump and Putin going head-to-head -head on this yeah. is you've got two individuals who could care less about the truth, right? They're both thinking about crafting a narrative that fits their agenda. Uh, and so it's in this alternative universe where facts and reality don't matter, and it's it's entertaining to watch. Uh, mm -hmm. So <laughs> Russia... Entertaining to watch in a way that, like, if you put aside the fact that that millions of lives oh, might be no. on the line. Of course, of course. Yes. We yeah. can't go there. If you were a pyromaniac and you were watching a fire, yeah. it's kind of right. like that. Yeah, it's entertaining in that way, exactly. <laughs> Putin, I think strategically, Putin has pointed back to the Iraq invasion of 2003 and say, hey, look, this is what this is the same story. Uh, in 2003, the United States said that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. We found out they didn't. They used it as a, a pretext to invade a country. Same thing is going on here. He even said... This, I love this is my this might be my all-time favorite Putin quote I asked about whether there was anything new here he said quote it's boring ladies we've seen this all before <laughs> he's the greatest he's the greatest so, so they're they're both playing this chess game chess game and I think yeah I think you're right but both have played it pretty well and what's surprising is that Trump has played it well I'm not surprised mm -hmm. that Putin is handling this in a way that is strategic and and thoughtful but we haven't seen this out of Trump yet mm-hmm 
What do you think this does for uh, Ukraine and Russia's involvement there going forward? Are we getting, are we being distracted now from Ukraine? I mean, it seems well, I mean we've to be been drifting. Yeah, I, I we've mean, been distracted for years yeah, from Ukraine. Yeah. Like nobody's given a shit at this point. But although, can okay, so now that Trump the the, the Trump Putin bromance is over, mm-hmm. you know, part of that bromance was based on the idea that at some point Trump would acknowledge the Crimean, uh, you know, that, that Russia had taken over Crimea. So now does Trump get some backbone on that and say, oh, by the way, I'm mad about Syria and that Crimea you took. You got to give it back. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? So even people who um, largely applaud or approve mm-hmm. of the the strike in Syria on Friday or whenever that was, still I've talked about like the question is whether this actually signifies anything. Like right. what happens next, right? Is yeah. this just a whim that Trump, you know, was again Ivanka tells him the the poor babies died and Trump's like, we'll do some missile strikes or I love the babies. <laughs> <laughs> or is this an actual shift, right? Is this a change? Um, and yeah, I mean, that'll be interesting to see, right? I mean, it, it, it could pretend a real change in, in U.S.-Russian relations, and but but I don't know that we know enough to predict what's going to happen. We don't. Uh, although It's not helping our topics. No, for, for no I know it doesn't. But. Although I, I would say one thing we can we can glean from this is that the the more traditional Republican foreign policy establishment, the... Uh, the Tillersons, the Mattis, and the, probably McMaster, the National yeah. Security Advisor, are winning because uh, this is this is the this is how a Republican would play this. This is probably how a, uh, this is how Obama would play this, and the Bannon, uh, Gorka, uh, Stephen Miller, that that kind of more nutty group seems to have been sidelined, which for me is great. Like get that that group is entertaining, but they are going to blow the world up. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is. This is the mirror version of, of that kind of mentality, though. You think so? <clears throat> I mean, there's no part of me that thinks the Obama administration would ever act like this in an international capacity. To, I, I, Hillary, and, Hillary Clinton would have done this. Oh. Right? She, she was one of the people who came out and said this was great, right? This is what we should have done. We should have done more. Oh, yeah. right? They're all about toppling regimes and not having a backup plan after that. I think you're right. Hillary would have been more hawkish. Hillary yeah. would have been talking about regime change. Right, sure. I'm still not convinced that anybody in the Trump administration wants regime change. They'll talk about it as it'd be nice if that happened, but they're not. I mean, they're talking about it. he has to go. The Assad, the, the Assad family has to go. Yeah. they're they're done. So, what, like, what does right. that mean? What does that mean for us? Or you know, is it a coalition thing and it's just airstrikes, or is it drones, well, that, or is it you know that's what? The cr- that's the crazy or difficult thing, which is, I mean, if they had been saying that all along, that would be one thing. But this is a this is a whole new line for them, right? I mean, up to this point, they, uh, Trump and other people around him have argued that like, if Assad's helping to defeat ISIS, right, like, and and Russia's helping Assad, then what do we care? Let Russia do it. Let Assad do it. And so it's it's this weird shift all of a sudden. I mean, this is a big swing to say that Assad's clinging to power and has to go. That's that's something that a week ago was not. Right. Trump policy. Right. And so that, you know, that's where you're like, okay, is this is this actually a change 
or is this just an example of it totally depends on the circumstances and week to week it's going to be different? It's, and it's one thing to say it. it. It's like me saying, like, Taco John's has to go. Like, Taco Bell has clearly won that battle. Taco John's is done. Taco John's? Yes. What the hell is Taco John's? <laughs> is there a Taco John's around? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, not around here. But yeah. you, you travel elsewhere. They're, they're still clinging, right? You say, Taco <laughs> Bell has won. Let's move on. But it doesn't. I'm not going to do anything about getting rid of Taco John's. And I think Trump's the same way. Yeah, you do. You burn him down. <laughs> that Tom is the walks. worst analogy I've ever that's, that's a pretty bad one. People are going to be tweeting about this. Taco John's and... <laughs> Burn him to the ground. That's right. Taco John's has to go. <laughs> it's easy. It is easy for Trump to say the Assad regime has to go. It's very different if they start taking real action. I just don't see them taking any real action. Uh, that's the thing. Like They're saying all of these things, whether it's... Um, you know, China, North Korea, or Ukraine, or Syria, mm-hmm. or I already said North Korea. Yeah. Um, and and you don't know what's going to stick at this point. Which, to some degree, I look at that and go, "All right, you're keeping people on their toes and yeah. making it a little bit more difficult to create any sort of counter strategy." I can see you smirking. Don't don't <laughs> no, do no, it. No, I'm not smirking <laughs> at what you're saying. I'm smirking at the reality that that is true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you go that. regardless of whether or not you're trying to keep your strategy a secret from you know the rest of the international community that's fine yeah but like maybe a little like wink here or there so like what what Trump doctor really means yeah you would have to we're gonna do this but Nick this assumes (laughs) there is a doctrine right and I I think there isn't Uh, right Trump Trump has said there isn't. Like they, the people in the administration said this week, there is no Trump doctrine. And, and we can have a long conversation about doctrines being problematic. But yeah, you know, for Trump, he should have a doctrine would be like an idea about how to conduct foreign <laughs> policy, right? That either either it's more you know you're an interventionist or you're isolationist. And it felt like there were at least two camps within the administration that that had those i don't know i really think it's i think this is moved towards a more like traditional realist foreign policy so and i wasn't really alive or i was barely alive mm. to do this but you guys were alive so i'll ask you um the most uh, clear analogy that i can come up with is um the reagan administration and their influence with russia in the waning days of the cold war yeah. and Star Wars and and all that, like, was there a clear understanding of where the U.S. stood and what the strategy was, and or was it? I, I mean, it's nowhere near as up in the air as this. Obviously, the Trump administration, but like, just based on my experience and my understanding of that particular time period, that was something where, you know, there were there was a real possibility that. There was going to be a nuclear yeah, war, right? Uh, and, and you know, there there wasn't a kind of um, clear understanding of where we stood and in relation to the the you know U.S. population. I think there was at least a, a really long sentence. A doctorate. So there, you know, deterrence is running through. So George Kennan deterrence is running throughout the Cold War, and different presidents interpreted that differently. And Reagan was much more of a rollback. So it was you know deterrence. It was escalate. Uh, the military escalate, the nuclear arsenal, all of that. But freedom I, fighters, right? Freedom fighters. But I think you knew you had a pretty good sense where where Reagan was. 
I, I, I even you know intellectually Reagan was not some brilliant man, but those around him were very clear about laying out where the United States was going to be on issues, which is not the case with Trump. I mean, we we started isolationist and and economic nationalist, and now we're drifting towards more you know norms matter, aggression matters, all of that. And mm-hmm. and to be fair, like most, I mean, most president, I, maybe I'm wrong on this, but my impression is that most presidents we're talking about. Truman doctrine or Reagan doctrine or, you know, like most presidents don't come into the presidency with a doctrine like the Bush doctrine. Like they're largely responsive to the world around them. Right. And it's looking back that you sort of find the consistent threads and say, okay, this was the the story or this was like the the dry. Oh, we lost Phil again. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) He'll be back. Wow. That's a perfect. We're going to take a screenshot of that. Hold on. Well, I think to, to run with what Phil was saying, there was there was a sense of where each administration was going to be. And with Trump, that's not clear. And yeah. my fear is that he'll be moved more by impulse. Sure. And so he he did not, you know, he spent years saying we should not get involved with Syria. We should not engage Syria. We should not, even after the first chemical weapon attack, we should not uh, respond to that. And now he shifted, maybe because Ivanka, maybe because... He saw this. Maybe he realizes now that, that foreign policy matters, that the United States can play a role, mm-hmm. and he's, he's drifting from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he settles on another position to say, you know what, the United States has to play a role in the world, I'd be okay with that, because then we would know. Uh, if yeah. he's jumping all around the place, even within his administration, there's incoherence in terms of Nikki Haley is making one argument, Tillerson's making another argument. Yeah. Mattis really doesn't say much, but you got a sense of where he's at. Mm-hmm. And then there's Bannon and Kushner. All of them, uh, it's it's kind of a knife fight battle to see where foreign policy is going to end up. Okay. Yeah. I, and I mean, and I'm I'm going to go down this road again. Yeah. You know, because I was I was so young at the yeah. time. I'm so young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I, I mean, you know, like what. Was there nearly as much anxiety as there is right now? Because, I mean, just the conversations that we have, and, you know, I feel like we know a fair amount about what's going on, and we have to keep up to date because we have to keep these idiots entertained. Um, (laughs) The hillbillies. (laughs) Yes, the hillbillies. Um, You know, I mean, just from a purely emotional, psychological perspective, like, what, what's, what, how is it different? I would say that I think the Cold War was infinitely more dangerous mm-hmm. when you've got the United States and Russia literally pointing missiles at each other and there was the assumption that uh, the, that nuclear war could happen yeah now it's you know the terrorism there is that threat out there mm-hmm. but the reality is like Syria doesn't really matter for the US long term I mean there's a humanitarian reason for caring about what goes on in Syria uh, there's a strategic reason for caring about Russia's incursion into Syria all that matters but it's nothing on the scale of a nuclear exchange between the United States and the Soviet Union. Okay. I, I, w- I think we're much safer now, except for North Korea, right? You know, okay. that's, the, that's the one dynamic that is different. But I think, don't, don't you think it's really unlikely that Russia and the United States now would ever have a military exchange? I think it, honestly, and, and I completely understand where you're coming yeah. from with this, I honestly think that there was less of a chance of us getting into a major armed conflict with Russia then as opposed to now purely in the sense of you have two giant slow hegemonic powers yeah. that 
whenever you have your proxy wars and whatever, but there's never, like, I, I feel like that kind of, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, kind of stalemate. Yeah. Breeds a, a, a sure. type of doctrine that says we can't rock the boat too much. And now you have, obviously you have more nuclear actors on, on the world stage and you have terrorism to deal with and refugee crises and, and you know, fucking lunatics right. running these countries that yeah. realistically, while, you know, it's still kind of the same powers that are working in there, you got to throw in China and North Korea and they're running proxy wars, but they're not necessarily doing it in a way where it's just a straight-on armed conflict yeah. and supporting rebel groups. Obviously, they did that, too. But yeah. it seems like it's more fracturous now. And any one of these things has the potential to cause something bigger. I would agree with that. I think that's... You're right. It is as if there are like multiple different uh, traps that we could step into that could lead to... To probably a lower level yeah. interaction, mm-hmm. but once you begin that lower level, it can quickly escalate to something significant. Yeah. The one thing I would I would I would add is that there's not this ideological divide which was present during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So during the Cold War, if the Soviet Union won, right? It was it was the end of the world because communism and dictatorship would take over. Uh, same thing for the Soviets. The United States represented a fundamental threat to their existence and their way of life. I feel like it's coming back to Do you that, think so? Though. But I don't know if Russia... Russia clearly doesn't not like the United States. Yeah. They have a different view, a much more conservative view. But at the end of the day, they're still kind of capitalist. Uh, China's kind of capitalist. Though there's not this argument about a... Uh, a system that's going to control the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that lowers the the tendency to say, well, you know, we can't lose to Russia. We can't lose to China because, you know, the whole thing ends. Well, you know, I, we're not going to lose to Russia. They're, you know, a third-rate right. power now. But that's the thing. Like, it, it did end. Mm-hmm. We, we won. Mm-hmm. Like, and nothing happened. Right. I, I mean, clearly that ideological difference in the end didn't necessarily matter. No. I, I mean, they collapsed from the inside. And who the fuck is Phil? Phil is just... Uh, <laughs> it's that New Hampshire internet connection. <laughs> He'll um, be back. I'm, yeah. Um, I, like, I, I just... I don't know. Like, I think, to some extent, globalization after the Cold War was a stabilizing force in the yeah. sense that you have the interconnectivity of, of economies and and whatnot, and you don't want to rock that boat too right. much. But then now we're seeing that massive backlash pr- from an economic and political and, yeah. and social perspective pretty much everywhere, sure. including here. Well, and if you think about I mean, to, to your point, if you think about the individuals, you know, both within the United States and the Soviet Union during the Cold War, mm-hmm. you felt comfortable that they were capable of managing a crisis. Right. And now it's yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Like this, the fact that we didn't have to deal with that level of of crisis and you know potential inevitability. It's after that time period. It bred. I feel like it bred laziness. Mm -hmm. People didn't have to think about it and think strategically about it nearly as much as as you had to over you know, a 50-year time span during the Cold War. Sure, and the fact that Donald Trump was elected, I think some on some level reflects that, to say that the, the country felt comfortable electing somebody with not a lot of foreign policy experience. Yeah. Uh, Putin, I think, is, you know, he's, he's an old-school guy. I think China still is an old-school guy, but there's a lot of 
nuts running around in other countries right. that could cause that kind of escalation. Yeah. Uh, no, it's. I still feel. You know, you were asking about. You know, who was around when. I still feel safer now than I did during the end of the Cold War. So I, mean, I was born in 74. So basically I was 10, 11, 12 during Reagan's God, era. Old, I know, I'm really old. <laughs> so. But, you know, I, I remember the danger of the end of the Cold War. and Everybody was very excited about that. And I think that... What, what was the danger about the end of the Cold War? Would things loosen up, right? So as, as the Soviet Union is starting to crumble would they preemptively do something to prevent that demise, right? So okay. uh, so when Gorbachev comes in power, he's, he's really excited about what's going on, and then you're, you're excited about the change, but then, you know, anytime there's change, there's an open opportunity for conflict, and that, I think that was, that everybody had everybody on edge. Not as much as during Reagan, though. Yeah. I mean, Reagan really raised that level of... Right. Reagan was talking about potentially winning a nuclear war. Yeah. And we're not there anymore. I mean, even now... You know, a terrorist attack would be terrible, but it's nothing on the scale of what would be posed by. Uh, oh, Phil is now texting us saying that the uh, the internet is down. <laughs> so, Get on your phone, Phil. I can only imagine he is frantically running <laughs> to the nearest Starbucks to try to find some connection, but he'll he'll hook up at some point. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, the history is is important. I still feel better now. Even thinking that there there's a greater likelihood of some type of altercation, but that that altercation would be smaller in scale than something during the Cold War. That's the thing. Like I and I, I, mm. in the sense I I there's no doubt in my mind that we could win a large scale nuclear conflict. Um, but you, but it's does not, anybody win, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously nobody wins, but it doesn't. It doesn't take that. What we have learned since the end of the Cold War is that it doesn't take that kind right. of an event to throw everything into chaos. Yeah. And if there was one, if there was one nuclear event against a civilian population or something right now, everything would be up for grabs. Yeah. And everybody who has a, a, a nuclear weapon that didn't have it at that point, it's, it's bad. Well, that's why, while Syria is important... It is certainly important for humanitarian reasons, for uh, stability in the Middle East, for a lot of reasons. Like getting Syria under control is a is an important development. North Korea is is the issue that should scare us all to death. Best Korea, <laughs> best Korea, because they. I still think they're a rational actor, but their conception of rationality is so different from everybody else. Yeah, and they. You have to think. So after Trump has launched the missile strike in Syria. They have to be totally on edge. And the United States moved uh, an aircraft carrier out there as a form of um, swaggering, right, to say right. we're here, we're paying attention Which to all this. they do. There was one out there like a month ago. Absolutely. And, and Obama has done that, had done that a couple times. The other, the other thing that's sort of surprising, not surprising, but so this Saturday represents the what would be the 105th birthday of Kim Jong-un's mm-hmm. grandfather. So right, so they're doing. They want to do something big, and so the United States is worried that big means a nuclear test, okay, or a missile test, more likely a missile test. But they've invited Western reporters in to see whatever they're going to do. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's 
probably one of those two. What, I mean, they've been doing nuclear tests for the past two decades. Like, what? What? what why do? Why do we give a shit? They're not going to listen to us anyway. They're not. But now they're at the point where their technology is getting better. For for a long, long time, it didn't matter. Like North yep. Korea, they had these missiles that didn't shoot very straight, and you know the nuclear tests weren't very strong. <laughs> very right? But now they've gotten much, much better. And it, it, they're talking about testing an intercontinental ballistic missile. You don't, you don't think they can do that? No, I... Um, or, or that if they do it, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still don't think they have the capability to do that right yeah. at this moment. And I, even if they did, I think we have the capability to, to counter that. Like, it can't... Yeah. To, the, to the point where literally, wh- what is it, like eight out of every ten missiles that they yeah. you know, decide to send up end up blowing up on on the pad right. or immediately afterwards like I, the technology is so archaic compared to what's available to us or China sure. or you know anyone else in that in that region i don't know if an icbm would necessarily be that dangerous and, and they probably would not have a real incentive to launch that at the United States right. so if they're going to do anything it'll be what you were suggesting earlier that it'll be some sort of skirmish either the United something the United States does something that South Korea does something that Japan does causes North Korea or the military within North Korea to respond against South Korea right and that is this little interaction mm-hmm. that pulls in China but I mean that's not a little interaction no right not at all right because then the, the dominoes fall okay well China maybe has to get involved because it's it's North Korea. Japan certainly has to get involved. Right. The United States is, is involved. And so then do cooler heads prevail? And does China and the United States say, it's not worth it over North Korea? Or is the momentum so significant that that continues to spiral? I don't know. Like I can't foresee an outcome where China and the U.S. and Japan and South Korea weren't completely and utterly aligned against North Korea. And yeah. I, as, as crazy as they are, most of their bargaining tactics are, we have a nuclear weapon, yeah. give us food and some money. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's yeah. about it. And that's it. Uh, no, and, I, and you're getting a growing sense that China... Oh, that could be a Phil Barker coming back. Oh. Let's see if we can get him. It's, it's spinning. Phil Barker? Hello? Are you, Hello. You're back. I, I can hear you, but I can't see you. That's all right. Can't see you either. <laughs> how's how's your internet? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so we're we've now moved on. We're now talking North Korea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and we're, we so we were talking about whether you know the degree to which North Korea really poses a threat, and specifically, let's say there is some kind of interaction between North Korea and South Korea, or North Korea and Japan. Would cooler heads, would the cooler heads of the United States, Japan, and China say it's not worth escalating this, or would would state would we get pulled into something that nobody really wanted to? Go, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's what you would hope to happen, but I, I mean, if history has told us anything, it's that cooler heads don't necessarily prevail in these situations, right? <laughs> the Donald is pretty cool. <laughs> Right. So, so you have you have if you have a head-to-head confrontation between North Korea and Donald Trump, like I, I don't, I mean, <laughs> do we really expect things to like be solved logically and rationally in those situations? Uh, I think if you have a conflict between North Korea 
and Donald Trump and China and Japan and South Korea, and I, I think cooler heads would prevail. Mm-hmm. But you could say the same thing about, like, I don't know, I think about, like, World War One right? If there's going to be a confrontation between the Ottoman Empire and the Austro-Hungarian Empire and, like, the British Empire, surely cooler heads will prevail. <laughs> yes. And instead, we end up, you know, years hey, later with... The guy was walking past the deli where the guy was, who was supposed <laughs> right. to assassinate him, right. what, like, he's got to do it. He's right there. It's too easy. <laughs> so have you, have you talked about the fact that there were military options presented to Donald Trump and how one of them is the assassination of... Uh, Kim Jong Un. I we, said go for it. Yeah, we did. So give us give us some context. I don't. I haven't seen a whole lot. I, I know that that the the military or the Pentagon, or whatever, has presented essentially military options to Trump. Trump has, has has continually or repeatedly referred to the fact that we will be willing to strike if necessary. And I and I, I my impression is that or my understanding is that the military presented a variety of options um, to Trump if we decided to do that. And and the sort of prime option involved the assassination of North Korea's essentially leadership. Um, that seems insane to me. Well, I mean, I, you say leadership, it would have to be more than Kim Jong-un because he's got, he's surrounded himself with a, a military elite that yeah. is, is of like mind. Well, more than that, it could never, ever be traced back to the U.S. It has to come internally if that... If it was, if there was even an inkling that the the U.S. was complicit in some sort of assassination plot, it's you know it's game over. But if it happens internally, you know, and you know, we'll give you some of those U.S. dollars you've heard about. Well, when you when you think about the options available, assassination clearly is one. There's there's problems with that. Uh, you know, the idea of, of continued economic sanctions is another. Oh, we lost Jeez. Bill again. Uh, that's not a particularly good option. <laughs> I thought he was just staring at me angrily because right, of no. what I was saying. <laughs> Bill's been in and out. Uh, you know, another option is, is military strikes against that infrastructure. That's, I mean, and North Korea is well aware of that, so they, they are strategically placing all of their nuclear infrastructure elsewhere. Uh, Phil just sent a text, I give up. <laughs> uh, 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 tell him to, to call him. We can put him in through the speaker. Oh, that is a good point. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. Um, just take the cord out of that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, like, it's, um, it's, it, it's hard to... Like, they have nothing to lose at this point. Right, North Which Korea. is the most dangerous possible situation that you could be in. But, um, the, like, we can't bargain with them, realistically. Um, there's no, there's no really economic incentive that we can give them, because they don't have an economy. Right. Um, and they don't want capitalism, or at least the leadership doesn't want capitalism. Um, and they're not re- they're not responsive to oh that could be a Phil Barker Phil Barker hello <laughs> all right you're on speakerphone oh I meant through that good. speaker through I'm like your cell phone, phone. <laughs> all right um, let me see if we can get you Do have a plug of some sort uh, all right sit, go Phil <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you were talking about while I was gone we're still talking North Korea. Uh, We're still talking about, um, you know, uh, targeted assassinations and if that would be effective or not. Yeah. I I can't imagine that. I mean, North Korea is is a system, right? It's more than one person. So, I mean, he's he's 
crazy and dangerous and all of that, but but it's a system that's in place that if he's gone, someone else will fill that role. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, the fact that we're sending war... I, I don't know if you had talked about we're sending uh, naval vessels to basically sit off the coast of North Korea. Like We're actively ramping up the pressure on North Korea, which is... I don't know. Maybe it's... Uh, you know, it's a change of pace. Maybe that's good, but it, I, I don't know what comes of this. I don't. I don't know what the outcome is that we're going for. That I don't see some magical solution in which North Korea is suddenly a, a peaceful player in world politics and everybody's happy. No, but I, I mean, and with the the, the carrier thing, we regularly send battle yes. groups out there to train with the South Koreans and the Japanese yes. and and yeah. all that. So I mean, I don't. While the timing is is a little suspect, and I'm I'm sure it's related mm-hmm. to you know current events, you know it's absolutely not unheard of. So and the North Koreans well, get pissed about it even during the training. So. Right. So it, it's not unheard of. What what is different is that in the week leading up to it, the president of the United States has tweeted about how if China doesn't do something, we will, and that the. Uh, other people within the administration have talked openly about how military strikes are not off the table. And so the, the rhetoric around it is different, which which leads to, I don't know, maybe a different interpretation of why our warships are there. And none of these are good options for the Trump administration. Uh, and, and if you think about, and again, I would, I would I've been very critical of their foreign policy, but I would say how they've handled Syria and, you know, in the early stages, how they've handled North Korea has been fairly... Smart. I mean, I think sending the the aircraft carrier out there, sending a signal is important. Putting pressure on China is important. Uh, now, Donald Trump tweeting about it isn't particularly effective, but no. <laughs> but the one on one meetings is is a good idea, and it appears China's receptive to that. So you might have cooperation between the United States and China over North Korea in a way that you're never going to get cooperation with Russia. So right. I, I don't know. I, I think I, I would give him a thumbs up in the early stages for both of those. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you got to think that there's some degree of, of testing the waters, whether you're talking about Assad or mm-hmm. North Korea. And, and I, you know, as much as Trump is a, a, a loudmouth asshole sometimes, I feel like the response that he's given to those particular nations has kind of been effective yeah like that's the only language that they respond to it is uh and again i don't know how much of it is trump or how much of it is the more mcmaster and mattis wing of the yeah. the foreign yeah. policy yeah. Yeah. Pushing i don't necessarily that. Necessarily, yeah, but, but he's trump, at least but. listening to them and, right. and bannon first had his ear and now it seems to be shifting so um yeah you still there phil I'm here. All right. Did your phones go out? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. All right. Where should we go next? So we've talked uh, Syria, United States, and Russia. We've talked North Korea. What's next on the agenda? Um, should probably talk about beers real quick. Oh yeah, yeah good idea. Yeah. Phil, what have you been having? So my first beer tonight was a Red Hook ESB Extra Special Bitter, um, and it was great. I hadn't had one in a while. It's been a while. Uh, it was. Light-ish. It felt like a good summer. Uh, it's nice and warm here in New Hampshire this week, and it was kind of perfect. Um, the other one I had was a Long Trail Brewing Company, which is a Vermont brewery, uh, a Long Trail Ale, um, which was also nice. It was, I don't know, light. Uh, it was a 
trying to see how they they describe it as an amber ale. So it was, uh, uh, you know, it was it was it was good. It was like a refreshing, um, be a great drink as well. Fantastic. All right. So I went, my first beer was uh, Two Brothers beer, which is, again, a Naperville, Warrenville beer here. Uh, the Mighty Cat, which is a hoppy wheat ale. Mighty Cat? Is that Nightcap? Nightcap. Oh, Nightcap. Jeez, I need new glasses. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nightcap. Wow. Is that well, a it's a kind of, special it's, release? It's a weird, yeah, it's a weird font. <laughs> Nightcap. So. Uh, a hoppy wheat ale, which was good, but it was a weird combination of being very hoppy, very dark, and a wheat ale. So yeah. I could see how somebody would really enjoy it. it I would say it wasn't my favorite beer. but no. um, That's great when it's uh, like late December, early January, and you yes. kind of want to kill yourself. Yes, yeah. yes. Those, and it's that dark at 4 o'clock. That's yeah. good, a good moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second beer was called Bob's First Ale. Oh, all right. <laughs> which, uh, a Magic Hat Brewery uh, beer out of uh, uh, southern uh, Vermont, right? Uh, I think that's where they're at. Uh, it was it was actually very good. It was a, it was light, crisp. Um, I enjoyed that one very much. Mm-hmm. And I just cracked my third beer, which is also a Two Brothers beer, uh, and this is uh, I think that's Monarch. Is that what that says? I, I can't yeah, trust myself. Yeah, are you okay? I, I am. Like it's two, it's it's less than a foot away from <laughs> your know. face. Uh, which is a white beer, and this uh, is uh, good. It has like lots of spices. <laughs> it's uh, good. It's good. Um, it is brewed with. Uh, it's an ale brewed with spices. That's what it says. Mm. And that it does. It, it is uh, spicy, which is consistent with where we started the podcast. So. <laughs> Um, let's see. I had a, uh, Cerveza El Sully, uh, from 21st Amendment Brewery, uh, which was good. Um, lots of, lots of good beers tonight. Um, pretty light, not overly hoppy, which was great. I honestly don't even know what kind of beer it was. The can is very confusing. It is very confusing. It doesn't tell you what type of beer it is. But it looks festive yeah. and kind of Mexican. Um, so I'll probably get Taco Bell after this, since we're burning down all the taco jobs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, second beer I had was a, uh, a lawnmower lager from uh, Botterbrow, which was great. Uh, it was. It was a good beer. It's, it yeah, looked it's good. It's really good. Um, so it's not overly hoppy. It had a nice kind of light floral finish to it. Um, highly recommended. Where are these? Oh, they're out of Chicago. Yeah. I keep forgetting about them. Um, yeah, go get that. Uh, third one, which I just opened a minute ago, was uh, uh, Hop Jockey, uh, Double Indian Pale Ale uh, from Lakefront Brewery, which is out of Milwaukee. A wonderful brewery. Yes, they're, yeah. they're great. Um, and it's it's maybe one of the better or best double IPAs that I've had. It's you think it would be really heavy and just kind of overpowering. It's got a nice kind of caramely sweet finish to it um yeah highly recommended i've only had a few sips but i guarantee i'll finish it before we're done here you know who doesn't like double ipas me phil barker why (laughs) they're so good all right one you know maybe we can finish by talking about uh steve bannon and uh his his state of the uh, uh within the administration but it appears uh the new york times just broke a story saying that on the day Paul Manafort left the Trump administration, did you get this? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Uh, the day that he left the administration, he uh, took out massive loans from Trump-related lenders. 
So, <laughs> or Trump connected lenders. So he he left the administration, and then he came mm. into some good cash. Um, Shocking. Yeah, mm. which it's surprising he would need cash because it, it felt like Ukraine was you know he had probably some pretty well, good cash hanging around. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, um, I I have no thoughts on that. All right. <laughs> So, Phil, should we look at uh, Jared Kushner and Steve Bannon, the Battle Royale? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's worth talking about because all this stuff about what the direction of the Trump administration is and what their foreign policy is going to be sort of hinges on this in some in some ways, I think. I agree. Uh, and I don't think we would have expected that Steve Bannon would be under the stress he is. Oh, I Give, You thought so? Oh, yeah. yeah? He was not going to make it very long. Because of the threat he posed to Trump in terms of stealing the attention? No, because he's batshit crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's reasonable, too. <laughs> I, I like... It, it's, it was so obvious that he was such a, a powerful, destructive force within the administration. Like, you're just burning that candle at both ends yeah. with fucking jet fuel. And, and you just go... I, like, I, he was not... He's not a good influence. And, and yeah, there's no part of me that thought he was going to make it through the entire administration. You know, I, I'm, I'm torn on that because it felt like early on he was such an important influence because he mimicked the economic nationalism, populism. It just felt like that, that at his core, Trump and Bannon had a lot of overlap. And I, I am surprised at how quickly he shifted away. And, and maybe, it says, maybe it shows how much power Ivanka has. Uh, that Ivanka and Jared Kushner, like you talk about a power couple now. Those yeah. two really appear to have Trump's ear. When is their coronation, by the way? No, it's, it's <laughs> got to be soon, right? I, I thought it'd be somebody within the Clinton clan, but it appears to be it's the Trumps. I, and well, Go ahead, Phil. Well, so, so Bannon, I mean, it's important to recognize that he is in many ways res- I mean, responsible for Trump's election, right? So, I mean, he's... Yeah. He has his finger on the pulse of that, um, you know, the, the sentiment that brought Trump to power, I think, that surprised a lot of people. And so um, that has been important for Trump. But now that he's in power, uh, you have some different pressures at play. And, and right. the, uh, if you think about the first couple of months of the Trump presidency, he's got banning all over it, right? The, the travel ban... Um, right. The immigration crackdown, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that's been going on. But all of that sort of can be directly tied back to Bannon. But that's also all been sort of failures, right? And so, uh, you know, you have Kushner and Ivanka and others who are kind of trying to pull him back towards a more moderate or a slower approach, I think. And and if Trump really just wants to be loved, then yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, the failure of these policies, I think, could play a big part in Bannon's, you know, uh, ostr- being ostracized. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, Phyllis. So much of who Trump is and who he was during the campaign was a reflection of Bannon and others. But if, if Kushner and Ivanka and uh, the more moderate wing of his administration starts to take over... We're having a very different conversation about where this presidency moves. Right. Yep. And they will have an effect on moderating. I mean, I will say, what has it been? Two or three weeks before he said, since he said anything truly crazy on Twitter, it's evolving in real time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is. He still. He still he's uses becoming Twitter. Becoming self-aware, if you will. 
he's evolving to you. in real time. <laughs> <laughs> to use a Terminator. Yeah. Uh, so, so you get us. You wonder whether they are not starting to shape him, and Trump is learning. Yeah. Spicer apologized yeah, this week. Yeah. And, and so the other thing, Trump gave an interview with the New York Post where. He really throws uh, Bannon under the bus. And I'm not going to read the whole quote, but he starts it with, I like Steve, but, <laughs> you know, and he finishes but. with, Steve is a good guy, but, you know, and, and that that's maybe more significant than anything. That's breakup material. Right, yeah, there. right. right. <laughs> um, <yes. laughs> that's a bad sign if you see Bannon. Time to update your resume. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, more than that, I, I think Trump is... Just like Obama shifted immensely after the campaign, and he once he mm-hmm. was in office, he's realizing the, the the weight and the complexity of the actual situation he's in. And clearly, my bet would be that Bannon was sticking to his guns on everything and yeah. not shifting <clears throat> one iota. And wow, I got a purple out yeah. of that. It's <laughs> a really happy beer. Um, and and. I still don't think Trump is a dumb guy. Like, I think he's instinctive, and I can hear you smirking and either rolling your eyes through the <laughs> Phil phone. Phil Parker. Um, I, I will say, Trump knows how to read a room. Yeah. And so he's been in one office, or 80 days, or whatever it is. And you wonder whether he's not reading the country. Right. To say, I thought what got me elected is not working, and it's time to shift. And he's not at all afraid of dumping individuals who get into a particular place if, right. if it means he stays atop. Yeah. We haven't seen a campaign event in, in a few weeks at this point. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Yeah. And that is pure Bannon. Right. I, I don't know. I yeah. Mean, I, I think it's all clear skies and smooth sailing from here, guys. We, we made it through. We're good. That's right. We're good. We're good. Oh. This is all a test. Yes. <laughs> um. There is something that I wanted to bring up, which yeah. just made me happy inside. Um, so there was a uh, an open congressional seat in in Kansas, yes, which was going to be the battle cry of the Democrats, and they were going to show that we're not going to take this shit anymore, and you know we just can't stand Trump and yeah. everything that's going on. Yeah, they lost by double digits. Was and it was it double digits? Double digits. Okay. It was like- no, it was like 5%. No, I think it was double digits. No, you're wrong. No, I'm not wrong. <laughs> well, so this is, this, is, this is the perfect... This is like Mike the, Pompeo the, won the district by more than 30 points. Right, but he was the guy who had left. He was the guy who was replaced, so he lost... Oh, wait, no, I didn't read through that whole point. Hold on. <laughs> Scratch, we're, we're going to edit that out. Go, go Phil. <laughs> so, I mean, this is the perfect story, because depending on who you, like, you know, depending on which side you're on, you can interpret this either way, right? Um, if no. you're a Republican, the Republicans held on to a seat that was closely contested, and Trump was even tweeting about how you know it was uh, the Democrats thought they had it, and we, the Republicans, won. From a Democratic standpoint, it's like the classic moral victory, which we kind of roll your eyes at. But yeah, so Mike Pompeo had won by like 30 percent before Trump won this district by 25, 27 percent, and. Then, Nobody thought that the Democrat had any chance, and he did lose, but he lost by 5%. Okay. All right. It's heartening to, you know, lots of Democrats are like, so this shows that, that uh, you know, there's this swing that people are unhappy. It also shows, to some extent, 
the incompetence of the Democratic Party, who yeah. put no money into this election because yeah. they thought they stood no chance of winning. And if they had actually funded it and put some effort into it, they might have they might have actually won. So, all right, here here's a better quote that is actually <laughs> uh, uh, pertinent. Democrats have now gone zero for five in seat flipping opportunities at the state and federal level since Trump's election and actually gained a legislative seat in Louisiana. And this is something we've talked about a lot, right? You know, the the Republicans and Trump in particular is trying to give it away. Right. But Democrats can't win an it's election. Impossible. Yeah. They suck at it. Yeah, They're they really terrible. Yeah. They, I can't support them just because they suck so much at it. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, Kansas is about as difficult a place to win if you're a Democrat as anywhere in the country. So, but the narrative is that like it's everybody is up in arms uh, about what's going on in the country right what's now. What's wrong with Kansas? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it will be interesting. There's a, there's another special election in Georgia next week that. So, so Trump won the district in Kansas by almost thirty percent. He won the district in Georgia by two percent. Mm-hmm. So that might be a more interesting test to see, like, if if there's a real swing in sentiment and if the Democrats are able to get people out or not. Yeah. Why are there all these special elections? Because they're all people who have taken positions in the Trump administration. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're right. They've. They, Kansas is a big test, but Georgia will be the same dynamic. If you can have a Democrat winning in those two states, it's good. Um, I, I like they're so bad at. Yeah, no, they are. Why they are you so bad at? Yeah, right. They just <laughs> historically Republicans. Why am I yelling? Republicans know how to win an election, and Democrats know how to win a debate. Right. So John Kerry was fantastic against George W. Bush. Lost. Right. Yes. It's just uh, different yeah. skill sets. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the other thing? So, which I want, I wanted to bring up uh, when we initially started with uh, Spicer's whole um, commentary on uh, gassing and the Holocaust and, yeah. and, you know, all that lovely business. Um, so, about a week before that actually happened, there was, so the guy who created The Wire and, like, three or four different shows on um, HBO. Yeah. Uh, and who runs a uber-liberal blog and, and, you know, claims to be a policy expert, made pretty much the exact same comment. Hmm. And almost zero press attention to it. Obviously, Sean Spicer is the press secretary right, right. for, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what was that, Phil? <laughs> No, no, that I, yeah, I mean, I, it, it has a little bigger, bigger implication. Yeah, I, 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 I just, I just person. find it entertaining that, like, literally, it took me significant digging to find yeah. legitimate stories on that. Oh, Nick, there are there are idiots on the left and the right. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just the, the the ones on the right tend to have a microphone now. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, oh god, I yeah. just had it too. Uh, so the the guy's name is is David Simon. And the the original uh, wow original uh, initial um, post that he put was possessing sarin gas. Hitler wouldn't use it on soldiers even as his Reich fell. He had been gassed in World War One. Assad has used it two times on civilians. Well, and even you know yesterday, so it must have been a talking point because Mattis was also hitting on that issue, mm-hmm. and the way Mattis addressed it, it was no big deal. So he basically said like during World War Two, Hitler never used gas on the battlefield right and it got no attention because it was like okay 
Yeah, that's right. Right. And you could have a bigger conversation about whether that's really a useful analogy or not, but it was effective, it was brief. If, if Spicer hadn't just jumped all over his own language... Right. Yeah. Yeah, he, he sucked at it. But <sighs> I, I just... I, I found that entertaining. Yeah. And have to throw in a little jab no, here and there. No, that's good. Because I have you two to deal with. Um... <laughs> Well, not for long. Pretty soon, internet's going to be gone, and Phil is <laughs> Phil's going to be—he's going to be writing letters that we'll read to yeah, the audience. I hear they're cutting your phone lines. <laughs> yes. um, um, the other—the other fun story that I'm looking forward to watching is not actually fun, and I don't know if I'm really actually looking forward to it. But anyway, um, uh, so uh, Bill O'Reilly, who's, who's taken a lot of heat this last week for sexually harassing multiple women and having lawsuits settled on his behalf by Fox News, is going on vacation. Have you, have you seen this? No. No. Where's he going? So, uh, well, he, he, he claims that he always takes a vacation around Easter. So he's, he has announced that he's going on a vacation after he's lost all his uh, advertisers and whatnot. But I guess it's a fairly extended vacation. It's several weeks. And so there are a lot of people who are speculating that this might be the end for Bill O'Reilly. And it'll be really interesting to see in, like, two weeks if, you know, he comes back and Fox News just continues on with it. And, you know, he, they, they don't really give a shit. Or I need that. If, uh, you know, the the abandonment of his show by all these advertisers actually matters in some way. I would be shocked if they got rid of him. The attention That would be a death blow for that network. I mean, he was he was number one, right, in terms of cable news? Oh, yeah. And Yeah, but, but ratings, the only reason it matters if you're number one is because you can sell ads. And if nobody will, will pay Fox News for ads, then it doesn't matter if you're number one. This will be a good test for the American public. Two weeks from now, do we remember... That O'Reilly did all this, right. or do we, or does the American public forget? And do the ads come rushing back in? Uh, yep. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how it develops. I, I, like, I, I, it'll be. Yeah, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Interesting. D- yeah. <clears throat> Where's he going? Did he say? Jerusalem. I don't. I, I don't think he said. <laughs> well, that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> um. This, this has nothing to do with. Well, yeah. it kind of has something to do with politics. Did you guys see the video of the guy getting dragged off of that? Oh, the United Airlines? Airlines? This is all my students wanted to talk about today. It's hilarious. (laughs) I I mean, I I just... So here's my thoughts on this. Just because I I have half a beer left and we're going to talk about something. Um, The best analogy that I I ever heard about flying on a plane uh, is an airplane is a dictatorship. Mm. Uh, The... (laughs) The pilot is the Fuhrer, uh, and you have no rights at that point. Which, realistically, whatever. You have, um, you know, the quote-unquote, uh, is it Flyer's Bill of Rights or something like that? Right, which doesn't get you much. Doesn't get yeah. you anything. If yeah. Realistically, if you look at them the wrong way, yeah. um, you get kicked off of a flight. <laughs> um, like, I, I mean, it's just... I, I just... I Personally, I just thought it was hilarious that he screamed like well he was obviously crazy to begin with but um how do you figure he was crazy well he was um what was it swapping uh is he swapping drugs for sexual favors prior to this i don't know if you saw this today it came out that his local newspaper who ran that story had the wrong guy there to be no no that's even worse this poor man has been trashed but I saw the video of him running up and down the aisle going, I have to get home, I have to get home. Like, I, he's crazy. I, I, I mean, it's... Like, I, I mean, as, as an American citizen, and like, and it does kind of 
come back to politics in, in some degree. Like, I feel like a lot of this culture came in after 9-11, mm-hmm. and we couldn't care less about it. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I mean, what does this say about the, the state of, you know, civilian rights and, and, you know, being able to travel, and I'm not articulating this well? well. There's no, 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 it's... Go ahead, Phil. There's issues of corporate power and also individual, yeah, all sorts of stuff that, that falls into this. And, and there's issues, I mean, there's the question of, I mean, there's the whether the guy was dumb to resist police, but there's also yes. the question of whether the, the, you know, aviation officials should have the right to do this. And then on top of all of it, there's just the stupidity of United Airlines with the PR and the way they handled it. <laughs> Uh, well, and that was the thing for me. So this is individuals of Chinese descent, and apparently this story is like the story in China right now. Right, which is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. But, and, and, on I mean, their state-run social networks. Right, <laughs> and, and United apparently is trying to build its network in China, and this is not going to go very far to help that cause. Mm. Uh, no, it was. Uh, there's a lot of stories that are intersecting here. What I found really interesting about this story is that you know, with any of these um, situations where uh, you know, social media gets involved, the company takes a hit on the stock market, mm-hmm. and people are starting to pick up on that, and that any sort of situation where social justice warriors get on board and, you know, there's a, a dip in the market, they're now making money on every one of those yeah. situations, like thousands upon thousands of dollars, yeah. just because people don't realize that realistically, you can get upset about it, but none of this is going to matter. Wow. It's going to immediately bounce back, and we're going to take advantage of you because of that. Right. I think United Airlines, to, to echo Phil, was, was handled, couldn't have handled this worse. But if Barstool Politics had some investment funds, I would say put it in United Airlines. Oh, God, right yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Phil, do we have any funds? <laughs> uh, I've got like $4 in my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have one of those free Frappuccino cards. Does that count? I think they take that in exchange. I don't know. All right, gentlemen. Yeah, anything else, guys? We're good. Phil? I'm I'm good. I'm gonna work on getting New Hampshire internet access. This this, week. this would be good. It was it was fun <laughs> with you on the phone, but it was better when I can see you. So, um, do you want to do the plugs? Yeah. So uh, always uh, check us out on Facebook at Barstool Politics, uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L. Uh, the email has been kind of quiet. So uh, BarstoolPolitics at yahoo.com. Send us your beer selections, uh, your questions, your comments. Uh, connect with us, uh, and most importantly, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share with your friends. And uh, review it on iTunes. Like five yes. stars. All yes. those. All yes. Those. Cheers, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Okay.